0: Good morning again. It is hour 2 of Mornings with Carmen on the Wednesday, the 6th of October. I mean, we're just speeding along through this year. Um it is easy to get distracted by so many things. So thank you to the person who emailed yesterday and said, "Hey, could we get one of those roundups on what's going on with uh with abortion in the country?" Um yeah, let me give let me give that a shot here very very briefly. Um, Certainly, you know about the debates ongoing in Congress related to the Hyde Amendment and uh, efforts by those who would like to see the Hyde Amendment not included in the budget process. Uh, The Hyde Amendment is what prevents U.S. taxpayer dollars from being used for abortion services. Um, And so that's certainly a story that we are watching. Here are three active cases across the country uh, maybe to know about today. A federal judge last week prevented portions from an Arizona law um, from going into effect. So that law would have allowed prosecutors to press charges um, against people who perform abortions for specifically eugenic reasons. So uh, the 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 abortion um, of a child who is known to have a disability, or specifically Down syndrome. So, um, yeah, that that uh, that Arizona law is not going into effect. Um, it's been sidelined by a federal judge. Another federal judge on Thursday temporarily blocked three pro-life laws from taking effect in Montana. Those laws, which were scheduled to be implemented um, last Friday, would have protected babies from abortion after twenty weeks of gestation. Uh, those those laws would have also regulated the distribution of abortion pills and required doctors to ask women if they would like to view an ultrasound of their baby before aborting. So um, those laws are currently on hold for ten days until the judge issues uh, what is expected to be a further injunction, which you know prevents those laws from going into effect. And then U.S. Uh, District Judge Robert Pittman pre- presided over a hearing on Friday regarding the Biden administration's lawsuit over the Texas heartbeat law. And so the the Justice Department was arguing that Texas has turned to, quote, vigilanteism to enforce what the Justice Department views as an unconstitutional law. So that's ongoing as well. And remember, the Mississippi case is... Uh, being taken up by the U.S. Supreme Court. And it really is a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade, certainly the viability standard in terms of the question of when does life begin and therefore when can it be legally terminated. All right. On the other end of the conversation about life and death, um, I had another email asking for some updates on uh, right to die laws across the country. So it's also known as death with dignity um, or euthanasia. Um, And those efforts continue to progress here in the United States. There are 10 states that now uh, where it is legal um, for physicians to assist in uh, in a suicide. Um, But I have a headline for you out of Canada that I think is. uh, Is concerning on this front. So in Canada, the waiting list for euthanasia, specifically in Nova Scotia, has gotten so long. That they have actually put the program on hold for 30 days while they recruit additional medical professionals to provide all the requested euthanasia euthanasia services. So in Canada, it's called medical assistance in dying, and it is a program overseen by um, by not only their federal government but each one of their provinces. And so in Nova Scotia specifically, referrals for euthanasia and request for um, for medical assistance in dying um, has so outpaced requests from twenty twenty like they've had more requests in the first nine months of twenty twenty one than in all of twenty twenty and so they have um, they have put a pause on the program so that they can recruit more people to um, to actually carry it out um, and you might be asking yourself why well Canada passed amendments to the euthanasia law earlier this year that expanded what's known as eligibility, um, and that may have contributed to the increase in requests. It's also, I think, important to note that, you know, maybe there's some really good reasons why few medical, medical professionals want to do this. Like, why? Why don't medical professionals want to assist people in dying? Well, it could be because they take seriously the commitment they made um, to health and to life. All right, we could um, we could go on and on, but our sweet friend Bill English is waiting right now in the wings, so we are going to turn to a conversation with Bill, whom you can find at bibleandbusiness.com. We'll be right back. Bill English is here. Good morning, fine sir.
2: Hey, good morning. How are you doing today?
0: I, I am well. I am well. All right. So when we, um, when we talk about the big term reparations, I think many people um, have like imaginings of what that might be. In California, we actually have a very specific um, example. Can you tell us the story um, of what's happening in California?
2: Yeah, yeah, I can. So the uh, the thumbnail is that Willa and Charles Bruce back in, in the 1910s and 20s owned a resort on on Ma- in Manhattan Beach, California, right on the coast. Uh, that catered to blacks. Uh, they had a lodge, they had a dance hall, they had a cafe, they had dressing rooms, uh, and and it was catered towards the African Americans. Uh, due to racism, the Ku Klux Klan came in and basically forced them off the land, and then through eminent domain. Uh, the city uh, took, un- I think unfairly, took the land and the buildings from them. They were eventually paid 14500 as restitution, but they never got the land back. Uh, so the city owned the land for a long time, really until 1948, when they transferred it to the state of California, who owned it until 1995. And the state transferred title of that land to the county of Los Angeles, and then uh, last year the uh in 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 unanimous votes in both houses of of the California legislature uh, a bill was passed to return that land to the descendants of the bruces and so that came about uh just a few days ago when governor newsom signed the bill and so now the descendants of the bruces once again own that land
0: yeah i think it's a good news story um i mean i don't know what, um, you know, whether or not they can develop it or sell it, but they certainly now own it as an asset. Um, and so that will be, it's an interesting story, I think, to it is. Um, to help us understand uh, a history that is important for people to recognize. Like, I just think it's just one of those examples. It's easy to point to this and say, clearly, this was uh, an an unjust taking of property. And this is at least some form of justice in restoring it to them. Um, when we talk about uh, wealth, I mean, there's been a conversation in the country this week. Does $400,000 make you wealthy? Is that, you know, Is should that be the standard that the federal government is using in terms of a line? I don't necessarily, I'm not prepared to have that conversation with you, but I know that's an ongoing conversation in the culture. The people featured in the Pandora Papers like the commas in their net worth and and those kinds of things, this is a completely different sort of category of people who came by their wealth in inappropriate ways. Uh, brief people in on the Pandora Papers.
2: Uh, You know what? I didn't prep the Pandora oh. Papers. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm totally no. sorry. I thought we totally were going to do reparations. Totally okay.
0: Well, all right. So that sounds great. Let's uh, let's continue our. No, you're totally fine. Are we also going to do debt limit?
2: We can, but but no. I yeah. You know, I just want to stick I, with I reparations. Can talk about it let's stick with
0: it. No, it's good. It's okay. good. Bill, when we come back, more on reparations with Bill English. All right. We'll be right back. Thanks. It's all good. Now I'm just a bear. All right. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen, where Carmen has now read her email from Bill English from yesterday and uh, is much more well prepared than she was 30 seconds ago. I'm so sorry, Bill. It's I don't all know Do right. you have I'm those days you. where you get so many emails that you don't read them all, because I obviously had one of those days yesterday.
2: I receive between two and 300 emails every day.
0: So what is your process? Because clearly you can't read and respond.
2: Uh, most of the emails are just meant to loop me in, to keep me informed. And so I, I cursorily read them and then I delete them. So I try to keep my inbox below 30 or 20 emails. I do not let emails. So I either file them, I respond to them, uh, or whatever, but I almost always
0: delete them. Mm-hmm. I clearly need a better system. Okay, so back to our conversation. <laughs> oh, back gosh. to our conversation about reparations. So, let's um let's start with maybe some of your just general observations about reparations.
2: Yeah, so so the Bruce family this this whole uh situation is being held up as a model for reparations in the future. And if we could have really clear a public ownership of assets that could be returned to descendants, I think in those situations this model might work. But most of the wrongful takings of African-American assets uh, in past years are now owned legally at least by uh, currently other people, whether they're white or black, they're owned by nonprofit corporations and others. So the Bruce's model isn't going to work very well in most situations. Um, look, let's also remember that uh, for many um, in the African-American community, the reparations represent a, uh, 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 a justice for the wrong of slavery, but also for wrongs that have been committed since then. Uh, but they're going to assume some kind of a binary racial composition in America where all whites are oppressing all blacks, um, and, that, and that just clearly isn't the case. Uh, for example, in the NFL, uh, where a lot of millionaires are made, uh, 59% of them are African-American. In, in, the, in the, the Major League Baseball, uh, 32% of all the players are Hispanic in the NBA 73% of all players are African American. There's other places and other 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 types of verticals where African Americans have excelled quite well and are doing quite well and they they really while while there might be racism against them there isn't oppression against them. And I do separate the two. So um, reparations is as I was reading yesterday and getting ready for the spot today I I was surprised at how far down the road um, many um, many are in the African-American community for uh, reparations, and frankly, many in America are. For example, there's a, a website called whereismyland.org, and their stated purpose is to erase the wealth gap between the races, and they want to do that by having African-Americans um, register land that was wrongfully taken from their ancestors. And and this this group is going to use legal efforts to get that land restored uh, to uh, to the African American descendants, um, and they're holding up the Bruces, of course, as a as a model. This is something that is uh, going to continue to take hold in America and it is something that is really going to be i think racially explosive and divisive in this country if it isn't handled correctly. And so I'll stop there Carmen and just see what you know what kind of comments or thoughts you might have.
0: So, I lived for a period of time on um on Hilton Head Island in South Carolina, and I'm just thinking specifically about like just that one small island and um the african american descendants um of slavery who live there but they live on land that was then deeded to them and that they have controlled since then and it is interesting to me um there is a incredible wealth gap between those individuals who have lived generation to generation on that land and other land on hilton head that has been bought and sold and bought and sold and bought and sold um, and is quite expensive. I just, there's just because a piece of land, this is going to be an interesting conversation and every single one of these conversations is going to be unique. And I'm not sure that as a nation, we're very good at having big, broad conversations about things that are ultimately going to come down to a parcel of land and the laws governing that in a particular city, county, state, and then ultimately nation. Because this is not going to be a one size fits all deal.
2: No, no, it can't be. Um, there, there, there's in, in the reading that I was doing yesterday. There was an assumption that if you owned the land, if 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 the African Americans had owned the land, you know, from say 1900 to today, that they would all be rich, because they there, there was an equation of owning land with having wealth. Um, But only the the land itself is just a resource. The ability to develop the land and run a successful business is a very, very different thing than simply being an owner of the land. Um, I I can point to numerous uh, business owners who have owned land, they've owned buildings, and they have messed up their businesses, and they were not able to pass it on to the next generations. We also know that only 3% of family-owned businesses last to the third generation and less than one percent last to the fourth generation i have no reason to believe that um african americans or hispanics or any other minority group would be any better at this than caucasian whites i don't think that race has much to do with an ability to run a business i mean clearly Willa and charles bruce knew how to run a business and they mm-hmm. were successful at it. And there have been other African-Americans who have been very good at running businesses and being very successful. But that doesn't mean their descendants would have been. And so um, this this notion that, boy, we return the land to the descendants as, as a move of justice may make some sense on that level. But then to think, okay, now their, their descendants are going to be taken care of forever, that doesn't make sense unless they know how to run businesses.
0: Yeah, so thank you to the person who uh who just let me know that there's like a sincere effort underway on Hilton Head Island to help they're called heirs uh keep their land. Um then the part of that is the development of full robust family trees. So there you go. I there's all kinds of things that you can learn um about your family and and you know, I will say that for my own family um it's only two generations ago that uh on my mom's side you know, they were tenant farmers. So they owned no land of their own. They were they mm-hmm. were tenant farmers. They farmed land that they did not own. Do, you know, should they have owned it? They worked it. They're the ones that, yeah, you mm-hmm. know, so I'm just but saying, like, but there's, right? There's, uh, you see, do you a, see the challenge here, right? Like, there have been oh, really yeah. poor white Americans who, and I recognize as soon as that is out of my mouth, that I'm going to get a flurry of uh, privilege, uh, assertions of privilege, and I recognize that. Um, and so I just I just think these are complex conversations, and we have to be able to have them with an understanding that every single story is ultimately unique.
2: It is. Um, there is this misnomer in America that equity works like employment, and it doesn't. Ownership doesn't work the same as, as employment. When you're employed, you're paid to do a job. When you are an owner, you are responsible to pay for the job. But ownership and equity are compensated very differently than employees and that piece and I don't have time to unpack that because I know we're up against the clock here but that piece is not well understood in America. It's understood within the ownership community and it's understood within the private equity and venture capital communities uh, but it's not well understood uh, among the grassroots and that's where some of this confusion is going to come from.
0: Okay, we are you know what we can do the next time that we get together? We're just going to do that? a word a word study and our word study is going to be the word equity because it does not mean in the culture today anything like what it means in the business world. So yeah, let's have let's let's do a word <laughs> study the next time we talk specifically on the topic of equity. Does that sound good?
2: Okay. Yeah, sounds then I'll
0: Because then I'll know what we're talking about, which is good. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you
2: know, Carmen, come on. I'm so sorry. On. Thank you so much. All right, that's
0: Bill English. You can find him at bibleandbusiness.com. You can also find him on Twitter at Bible Business. Thank you, my friend. We'll be right back. You bet. All righty. When you think about the challenges that we face, um, do you come to the place where you're like, you know what? The things are cracking up, not in a good way, not like that cracks me up, but like things are cracking up. Uh, There there are challenges and crises in every direction. Well, Dr. Angie Ward is going to join us next. We're going to talk about the brand new book, When the Universe Cracks, Living as God's People in Times of Crisis. We're also going to talk about the larger project um, underway uh, in terms of how how we approach the conversations of the day in ways that honor Jesus. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: This is Max Locato. For every divine shout, there are a million whispers. The book of Esther relates the story of our whispering God, who, in unseen and inscrutable ways, superintends all the actions and circumstances for the good of his people. This priceless book reminds us that he need not be loud to be strong. He need not cast a shadow to be present. God is still eloquent in his seeming silence and still active when he appears most distant. The theme of the book of Esther, indeed the theme of the Bible, is that all the injustices of the world will be turned on their head. Grand reversals are God's trademark. And he invites you and me to partner with him in this work. The headline of the book of Esther reads, Relief will come. Will you be a part of it?
3: it
0: All right, we're going to talk about the challenges that each and every one of us face and the ones we face together together. As a people in the culture today, Dr. Angie Ward joins us now. The book is When the Universe Cracks, Living as God's People in Times of Crisis. Uh, Angie, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank
3: you. So good to be here.
0: So it wouldn't take us very long in a conversation uh, with each other or anyone else to, you know, to sort of run through a list or a litany of the challenges or the crises we face today. So um it so i think that you know getting the gist of what we're doing in this conversation is not hard for people. Um well so let's talk about the inspiration for doing this specifically this book and then the larger project of kingdom conversations.
3: Yeah, sure. So uh this book was born, you know, born out of the pandemic but but realized uh, the you know editors uh and and myself as general editor with NAB Press realized um, you know, we use words like unprecedented, you know, and um, to use like the pandemic, but then there was the political unrest and stuff and realize this is crisis is nothing new in the history of people of faith, history of the church. And so uh, set about to kind of say, well, let's let's have how can we have a conversation about this? Not just a here's what you need to you know think or here's a bunch of views. Um, and so really tried to bring a discipleship perspective in each of the chapters with 10 different contributors, looking at different angles of what does it mean to live as God's people in times of crisis?
0: Yeah. The discipleship perspective, taking note that, you know, crisis is not new, even though this crisis that I'm in or we're experiencing together is new for us right now. Um, and so how, how others have, um, Recognized and then converted sometimes crisis into not only opportunity, but for real kingdom expansion, even um, is a part of this conversation. So there's a huge perspective conversation taking place here.
3: Yes, exactly. And uh, yeah, I'm looking at history and scripture and Jesus' example, you know, and, and even like sociologically, what does crisis do to us as humans? And then where is God in all of this? Yeah, so I like um, I
0: like where you start, and again, we are um, we are talking about the brand new book. It's a part of a larger series. So the larger series is Kingdom Conversations. Um, This is the first book in that series. When the universe cracks, living as God's people in times of crisis. I like where you start off, which is simply a conversation about what is a crisis. So let's share with our listeners what is a crisis.
3: Well, yeah, it's just this, and the title comes from this, it's this crack in the universe moment where everything that we've kind of uh, assumed or the way we've done things, like, suddenly things don't work. And it's and it's at a level larger than, I mean, we talk about personal crises, but this is usually something that's on a much larger scale. So it's more than just like a local event. It's something that really, uh, you know, challenges our whole world's understanding.
0: All right, so... When we think about um, the upheaval, that's what's one of the words that's here in the first chapter, just in terms of the defining of a crisis. Um, I'm thinking there of anything that is unsettling, genuinely disruptive, but but in a way that that kind of tears open the seams of the garment of my life. Like we're talking about things yep. that go beyond um, the the speed bumps. These are um, crises is something that uh, when we use the word upheaval, I think that's a good one. So talk a little bit about that.
3: Well, yeah. So, I mean, and Christine Jeske in that chapter, she just as a sociologist, she says crisis disrupts aspects of life we usually take entirely for granted. And I'm sure, you know, all of us, you know, listening and who have lived through this, you know, last last spring and summer in particular, when all of this was new, you know, everything became difficult. School, going to the grocery store, figuring out how to do church, figuring out how to just get together and communicate for our basic relationships—just um, everything that we take for granted—it be, it became a whole new world overnight. Even though where we live didn't change, how we did everything completely changed. Yeah, and then she
0: goes on to say, and again, we're in, we're just in chapter one. I just thought it was helpful to unpack a little bit about what's going on um, here uh, in the book she goes on to talk about crisis being revealing. I I think it it, it does expose us um, and it exposes a lot of other things as well. So talk a little bit about crisis being revealing.
3: Yeah, the way a friend put it, and like you said, it exposed, it's like the the water line went down and all the rocks were exposed. Or as another Mm. pastor friend said, all of our unhealth whether that was individual about our own financial situation or relationships or if that's kind of community or even our larger systems, political and societal, you know, all those different, uh, the unhealth and all of those things was exposed when the water line kind of went down. And so that's how crisis just reveals a lot about who we really are that maybe we can cover when the water is higher.
0: Well, I think, you know, that, could, can cause each and every one of us to just sort of hit the pause button and ask ourselves okay what what did the last what has the last couple of years revealed about me about my relationship with God, about my household, about my work about my work life balance i mean like it it reveals a lot of things, and I think that there's an opportunity now for us to pause and converse and reflect on those things. And I I think the book is very helpful in providing a resource for people to not only sort of come to understand what has happened or what is happening, but also to pause and reflect and maybe even discuss um, what is happening. So talk about this as a resource that you're really providing for conversation.
3: Yeah, you know what we what we all said in the beginning was uh, we can't wait to get back to normal. We want to get back, you know, and how long till we get back? And you know, even that you said in these last few years, remember when we thought all of this was going to blow over in a couple? You know, it was like a blizzard that would come through and everything would be fine, you know. And so, so there's part of us that longs for a return to normalcy or to move forward. But um, I think, and the you know the contributors in this book really think this is an opportunity, like you said, for us to pause to reflect, it's maybe not a good thing um, for us to just try to snap back to whatever, because the nature of crisis is we have been upended. And so we we can't even really go back to what can't even go back to what normal was or whatever sense of normalcy. So, so the book really is trying to be a resource to, in each chapter saying, OK, what does this mean for us individually? Let's reflect individually. Let's look at what opportunities and what m- kind of missional moments does this bring for churches and for the people of God, even globally, uh, you know, in our in faith communities? Um, what does this mean with how I interact? How does this change my relationship to the world and to God and to our neighbors?
0: There's a remaking that's possible um, out of crisis. I mean, once things are in upheaval, we do have the opportunity to, uh, to influence, um, to make different choices going forward, to rebuild in a different way. Um, and so we're going to talk uh, a little bit following a very brief break. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Angie Ward. We're going to talk about how crisis really is also an opportunity, um, if we're willing to receive it as such. So the book is When the Universe Cracks, Living as God's People in Times of Crisis. We'll be right back.
2: It's okay to cry. It's okay. And it may
0: take some time. Dr. Angie Ward uh, is here with us today. We are talking about uh, a project that is underway called Kingdom Conversations. The first book in that series is When the Universe Cracks, Living as God's People in Times of Crisis. Nav Press is putting all of this together for us. And yes, I do have copies to give away for those of you asking. You text the word book to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four to enter the drawing for those. Um, Angie, let's touch for a moment on crisis as opportunity. And then I'd love for you to talk about the question, like, is there a spirituality of crisis response? Because I know that's dealt with in the book as well. So crisis as opportunity. Yeah. So,
3: um, you know. We, like we said, we talk about this being unprecedented and we try to go back. But, but um, you know, Jesus prepares us for this time and for um, this this moment. And by saying, first of all, he's with us. God remains good. It's opportunity um, for us to reevaluate our lives, our relationship, to minister, be aware uh, in relationship with our neighbors and our communities. So, uh, again, this up, this upheaval just brings um an opportunity for us to reinvent or not even reinvent, just at least um, evaluate everything. You know, I know I've been going like, what do I want to take away? And what do I want to leave behind from my life? What things were unhealthy? Uh, And then, yeah, so it's just an opportunity for us. It really is a pulling of the rug out from under us. And while we're sitting there, it's a chance to go, wow. Okay. Now what?
0: Yeah, there's um, it's a little bit like when you, I have a, a, some friends who they were flooded out several weeks ago here in middle Tennessee. And one of the decisions that you have to make about everything, everything, every item in your life, you now have to make the decision, you know, which one of these three tarps am I going to put it on? You know, is it so yes. important to me that no yeah. matter what, I'm going to figure out how to keep it? Um, is it clearly trash or is it somewhere yep. in the middle? You know, right. And so yeah. um, what are the Great things example. that I'm clearly going to leave behind, clearly stick over there on the on the trash tarp, What are the things that no matter what, no matter how hard it is, no matter how much I have to reinvest, I'm going to figure out how to keep this thing, save this thing. And then there's all that stuff in the middle. Um, Upheaval crisis provides us opportunities to come to those points of that kind of sifting and sorting and clarity um, in our spiritual life as well. There are some practices or some habits or some routines that I might have gotten myself into that just are clearly not who I want to be intentionally as a Christian right now. And I got to free up some space and time um, in order to take on those, uh, those things that I do feel like God is really calling me into. Um, So I, I, there is a sifting and a sorting that can take place in, um, in the midst of a -hmm. a crisis. And we don't have to apologize to other people that we're doing it because they're doing it too. Right
3: right that's a great point yeah sifting and sorting is just such a and such a good metaphor such a good image for that
0: so I um, I particularly like the chapter on is there a spirituality of crisis response so I know that jumps way forward in the book and again um, we are talking about the kingdom conversations series specifically the book we're discussing today when the universe cracks living as God's people in times of crisis. Giving away copies as well, text the word "book to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four um Angie, talk a little bit about the spirituality of crisis response
3: yeah you, you know um, crisis can be um, paralyzing, and so our first instinct can be fear and and it can become the takeover kind of uh, emotion and dominant frame that we 're processing. So what does this mean? I have to hold tightly to things, but as you talked about, you know the the flooding in in tennessee those types of things these types of events um uh, and kind of global crisis make us in that sifting and sorting um can can go okay what do we need to let go of but then with that there's as part of the spirituality of that there's a grieving process that is normal and necessary very necessary so it's not just a uh, uh okay how first you know how do i cling but then you really almost kind of move through stages of grief as part of the spirituality. And so Joanne Lyons, the uh, author of a chapter on spirituality of crisis response, and she just takes us through. She actually uses some examples um, from her experience um, working with the Wesleyan Church in uh, Rwanda and how much lament is actually a part of that healing process and that growth, spiritual growth process. And so uh, moving from fear to being able to go yes, uh, this is sad, the world is broken. How do we come humbly before God um, with all this that's going on around me? Um, and really, it's, you know, driving us to our knees and to our faces in front of the throne of God.
0: Uh, I think that the the, the final three chapters um, of, of the book, growing a church in the ruins, uh, he has shown us what is good, and then God remains good, I think that you all have done really well, Angie, in um, walking through the valley and then walking back out of the valley. So um, it's just it's really it's really, really well done. Just uh, genuinely appreciate it. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about maybe what's next, because the the Kingdom Conversations, um concept and project I find very intriguing and right on target. This is exactly what our listeners are always Great. asking us for. Like all of these conversations are taking place. How do I engage as a Christian in the conversation of the day?
3: Yeah, so um the Kingdom, this is the first one, like you said. The next one we're actually releasing, there's three right now that we're working on. Uh, and so the next one actually is coming out nine nine months from now, so next summer. And the title of that one is Kingdom and Country following jesus in the land that you love i love so that raise. i know i know exactly i get the eyebrows raised the what either the i love that or wow whoa Kind of thing, and then the third book that we're working on uh, just starting to plan. Is the working title right now is the least of these. And so, what is our responsibility and relationship coming to the marginalized um, of society and in our neighborhoods? And so, those are the first three we have planned. But um, I'm so glad you're you're you know loving this book and excited about the series. I'm just really honored to be a part of it. With that. so each book has ten contributors, a variety of voices, but all of them coming from a discipleship perspective so it's like how do we relate to God and to one another uh, through and through these different things what is a discipleship thoughtful response to these different issues
0: so helpful so helpful thank you so much that's Dr. Angie Ward the book is when the universe cracks living as God's people in times of crisis she's the general editor for Nav Press on this project uh, you can enter the drawing for the books we're giving away today by texting the word book to 877-933-2484. Uh, Angie, there's at least one listener who was in a Bible study with you 20 years ago, and her name is Kim Scoby. So there you go. Maybe you guys need Oh, my to gosh. <laughs> hey,
3: Kim, that's awesome. Wow. <laughs> uh, thank you right? so much. Right? <laughs> that's
0: so fun, right? the uh, the people of God are a well-knit together crowd so thank you that's what a so joy fun. really appreciate Thanks. it all right friends we'll be right back
1: this is a kingdom, down to the corners of the earth.
0: all right I do love it when we have a guest on and there's somebody that's listening that's like oh, I know them they're my friend we went camping together we've did a Bible study together. We raised our kids together. We were in church together. I just, anyway, just thrills my heart. Uh, Love you. Love that you are engaging uh, with us here at Faith Radio. Tons of resources posted at myfaithradio.com. For those of you listening in the Hartford, Connecticut area, all right, so alert, alert, alert. If I had some sort of, like, emergency alert signal. I'm not allowed to use those. But if I had one, now I would be using it and it would be Hartford specific. Not that I don't love all of you everywhere, but I happen to be going to Hartford uh, in October and thought it would be fun to get together. So if you are listening in Hartford and you are available on October, Saturday, October the 23rd from 4.30 to 6 p.m., would love to get together with you. You just text the word meet, M-E-E-T, not like meat, the food product, but meat, like let's get together, M-E-E-T. Text the word MEET to 877-933-2484. The only reason reservations are required is because like, right, it's a limited size space because everything has to be COVID compliant. So text the word MEET, M-E-E-T, to 877-933-2484 if you are listening in Hartford and want to get together with me on saturday october the 23rd from four thirty to 6 p.m it will be really really fun i'm bringing some uh, faith radio swag with me yep there you go um let's see what else okay captain kirk is returning to the final frontier that story is out there today um that's kind of a fun one um and then you know let's just be sure that we are the people who are looking after others today keep your eyes out for people who are in crisis Who don't have a Christian worldview, who don't know that they can operate out of the perfect peace of Christ, even in the midst of total chaos, right? That's where we're living, and we're doing so with great joy and abundance. Have a blessed day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app.